0: I invite you to turn with me uh, to read Scripture this morning. Uh, I will be reading from Romans chapter 3, and uh, I will read the verses 9 through 20, and you can find that on page 1750 of your Pew Bibles. Romans 3, 9 through 20. No one is righteous. What shall we conclude then? Are we any better? Not at all. We have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin."
1: Lord we we come before you we've been singing praises to you we've celebrated the gift you've given us of the Lord's Supper Lord we've We've prayed to you. And Lord, now we've opened your word. And Lord, pray that your words, that our worship, that this sacrament may sink deep inside of our hearts and souls and minds to shape us and form us more and more into the people you've created us to be. And I pray that the words that shall be spoken, may they be your words and not mine. Pray this in Jesus' name, Amen. It's the four hundredth anniversary of the canons, the writing of the canons of Dort. So, how many of you is it your favorite confession in the Christian Reformed Church? Nobody? Oh, come on! It's a great one. It's, we know it by, by the acronym TULIP, T-U-L-I-P. And Over the next five weeks, we're going to go through the Canons of Dort. And honestly, it is one of the most amazing confessions that we have. And I know you don't believe me right now, but I hope that over the next five weeks, you'll see how it is a, it's a confession filled with hope it's a confession filled with comfort, with peace. So 400 years ago, a number of, of teachers and, and pastors from a number of different countries in Europe came together. They came together because the students of one of the professors at the University of Leiden, Jacob Arminius, he had been teaching. He'd been teaching things that are slightly different than, than what the Reformed faith, what John Calvin and, and Swingley and some of the others had, had been teaching. And they were concerned. Because what they were teaching was, had the potential of taking away comfort and hope and people, uh, peace from People. So the Armenians taught that our election, our being chosen by God, is based on foreseen faith, that Christ's atonement is available to all who freely choose to accept it, that we have limited human depravity, the resistibility of God's grace and the possibility of a fall from salvation. And the Synod of dort said, no way. And we're going to turn to Scripture, and we're going to show you that, that these five points of doctrine, which have the potential of, of making people more afraid, of making people question their salvation, to show them that they had gone down a wrong path. You see, the Armenians teach that we work with God, for our salvation, by choosing to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. This means that we choose God first instead of God choosing us first. Instead of faith being a gift to us from God, faith is instead a gift that we give to God, is what they taught They focus on our free will, our ability to choose to repent and believe in God through our own choice. Though they do believe that we are all infected by sin, they believe we're sick, but that we work with God to get better. Now, to be fair to them, they were just reacting to these images in the scripture that that talk about human beings being like worms. You know, we kind of crawl around in the dirt and the mud and, you know, the only good thing a worm's for is to kind of make uh, compost or to go fishing with. But there is no other really good uses for worms. So worms were something that you look down on. And, and Scripture does, this, does compare us or use that image of worms at time, but... But some of the Reformed tradition really emphasized it way too much. So that they lost sight that we are children created in the image of God. That God loves us and that he cherishes us. And that he pours his Holy Spirit into us. So we aren't Worthless. We aren't worms. We have to look at those places that they are poetry. And we're going to look into what Paul wrote here as well. Because what Paul writes here is so hard and so harsh. But it starts off with the fact that we are created by God. And we were created pure and holy without sin. We walked with God in the Garden of Eden when we were first, when we were first created. And and God looks at Adam and, and, and even when they're created and and he says, Creation is good, but then he looks at a humanity and he says, and it's very good. Paul later on says, you know what, we're God's masterpieces. But the problem is Adam and Eve wanted to be just like God. They weren't content with being created in the image of God. They wanted to be God. And Satan used that, tricked them, fooled them, led them astray. And they disobeyed God. And that image of God they were created in Got twisted. So it wasn't a pure and holy image anymore. Canons put it this way human beings brought forth children of the same nature as themselves after the fall. That's to say, being corrupt, they brought forth corrupt children. And the corruption spread by God's just judgment from Adam and Eve to all their descendants, except for Christ. Alone. This corruption that we call sin has infected us. Every part of our hearts and souls and minds. And this sin keeps pushing us away from God and making ourselves the the center of the universe. But it's worse than just an infection. The Bible says that that our sin not only infects us, it kills us. The Apostle Paul in his letter to the church in Ephesus, he writes, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, and all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. So the canons of Doris says we're infected. We're infected by sin through Adam and Eve. They disobeyed God even though they knew the consequences was death. Now this death is both physical but, but it also describes the place that we live in spiritually and emotionally. It shapes who we are. And that's why there are so many, so many people who say, you know what, I'm a three-point or four-point or a five-point Calvinist. But one of the things that they reject is this whole idea that we are so sick that we can't heal ourselves. And the only one who's not sick is Jesus Christ, who's human but also completely God and so is unaffected by sin and that's why Jesus is able to take our sin to the cross and, and he's able to bring us healing from its infection. You know, Jesus is our soul's antibiotics, our soul's best medicine that completely heals us. But we sometimes jump too quick to the healing and we don't realize how much we need that healing. Healing. So that's why Paul comes out so strong in Romans 3. He takes a whole pile of Old Testament passages from from the Psalms and from the prophets to emphasize that we are all under sin. We are all infected by sin. As it's written, there's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They've all together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways in a way of peace they don't know. There's no fear of God before their eyes. Well, that's going to make us celebrate. But you got to remember that That Paul is quoting poetry and he's quoting Old Testament prophets. He's he's using images to to kind of kind of remind us how much we need Jesus. Poetry is filled with what's called hyperbole. It means you say something and you stretch it as far as you can. So it's it's like you say, you know what? You never, ever pick up your clothes. You always leave them on the floor. When I know that, there's sometimes that I do pick them up and put them in the laundry basket. But hyperbole means that I never do it. And that's what Jesus gets at when he says, you know what, if you, if you look at a woman lustfully, pluck out your eye. there would be a whole lot of blind people walking around this world nowadays. Or chop off your hand if you steal something. Already at young age, our kids would be walking around one-handed. But that's hyperbole. But you also got to remember that he's quoting from the Old Testament prophets, and and the prophets come because the people, the people kept taking the the directions of God, saying, you know, you got to care for the widow, you got to care for the orphan, you got to care for for the foreigner, you you got to protect those who need protection, you. There's a way to live that, that you watch over and with and love each other. And, and the, the Israelites kept saying, Ah, yeah, okay, we'll do that for a little while, but well, yeah, you know. I can make a little bit extra this way, but yeah, I got to be a little dishonest there. And you know what? If I help that widow out, that means I got a little bit less and, and I got to save for my retirement. And, and you know what? I want to go on a trip to, to, to the Nile. I want to go on a cruise down the river and, and I need some extra money for that. So, so I can't really help out. And, and taking an, an orphan into my house, I already got a whole lot of kids and I don't want more. You know, they weren't caring. They weren't loving they weren't living as, as God had called them to live. So the prophets would come and say, hey, look, man, that's not the way it's supposed to be. We shouldn't have hungry people. We shouldn't have people who are being abused. We shouldn't have orphans who have no place to call home. Foreigners who come into our country and into our cities should have, be welcomed and... and, and And should be loved on. That's how they're gonna know who I am. So we have to look at the context of what Paul is saying. But you know what? Toll depravity, that tea in the tulip part of the can of the door, it does look like this. It feels like this. It reminds us that there is no part of our lives that's untouched by sin no part of our lives where we don't need Jesus to come in and make us fully and completely clean. Because the prophets, what they could say to, what they said to the people there, the the images and the poetry of, of Psalm, you know, we feel that at times. We recognize that, you know, you don't measure up. We're not as bad as we can be we also know that that we keep getting touched by selfishness. We keep getting touched by pride or by anger or by lust. Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer 62 says, why can't our Good works not be our righteousness before God or at least a part of it because that's what the Armenians wanted. They wanted us to be able to work with God so that Jesus comes and, and he heals us and he does all, but, but we also help Jesus in it by doing good works and by, by doing all good stuff and, and that's part of our healing as well. And, and the answer the Heidelberg Catechism to that is, well, you know what? The righteousness that can stand before God's judgment must be absolutely perfect and in complete agreement with the law of God, whereas even our best works in this life are all imperfect and defiled with sin. That's why Paul writes in verse 20, you know what, no one's going to be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. You see, when we do good things and we do do good things all the time because that is that part of that image of God that is still within us we are able to there are so many people who do do wonderful good things even those who don't follow Jesus I remember one time working with the youth in Ancaster Church and we went out and we went to a Buddhist temple and and we were talking to some of the Buddhists there and, and, and they were doing some amazing work in downtown Hamilton and they were dedicating themselves to making Hamilton, that part of Hamilton a better place. And we were studying this stuff in catechism and one of the kids said, but... Isn't all the good stuff that they're doing going to help them in God's eyes? And we said, you know what? They're doing good stuff. But they're doing it out of a sense of obligation because they have to. That's what they're told they have to do. That's how they earn their salvation. But they do it because it makes them feel good. It's not because it brings glory to Buddha or to God. or They do it because it makes them really feel good inside. And that's not a bad thing. But it's not about God. It's not about their salvation. It's about how it makes them feel. And there's so many different reasons why we do good things. But they do come out of what's called common grace, that God gives us a whole pile of of gifts so that we can do good in this world. We can make this world a better place. That even even people who don't follow God, who don't follow Jesus, can still help make this world a better place. But it doesn't help Save us from our sin. It doesn't wash our sin away. You know, I remember working in my study in, in Montreal, and my study overlooked a park. And, and it was this kind of a, a street, it was kind of weird, you had a, the street and then the park was right in the middle of the street and the kids would ride their bikes around it and they'd play in there and they'd throw a ball and all that kind of stuff. And on a summer day, I used to love watching them play as I was trying to work on a sermon or something else. But one time, one of the little boy from across the street was riding his bike and he wiped, he wiped up pretty good. He scrapes all up and down and everything else, and his sister's standing there laughing at him, and he is screaming, he is yelling, and, and mom doesn't hear him, and nobody's coming. So I go up, and I go out there, and, and, and I pick him up, and I hold him, and 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 try to kind of brush all the, the grit out of his sores and scrapes, and, and carry him to his mom so that she can wash him and put some ointment on there to make him feel better, and and, and it was a good thing. But honestly, I did it because his screaming was driving me nuts. And I was having a really hard time concentrating on the sermon. See, I did something good. But it was still touched by sin. And that's what total depravity is. That even the good stuff we do gets touched by sin. So the good stuff we do can't save us. That's why we need Jesus. And we find hope in God's commitment to us. We may be dead in our sin, but Paul reminds us in Ephesians 2, because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our sin. It's by grace you've been saved. And God raises us up with Christ and seats us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. That's what the Lord's Supper reminds us about as well. You see, God never gives up on us. Right after sin enters into the world, God promises a savior. Someone who's going to crush that serpent's head. Jesus comes and shows us how to live, offering forgiveness and grace, washing our sin away on the cross because he's the only perfect human and then sending us his spirit. His spirit so, so, so that as we live, we are reminded, we are appointed to Jesus. We, we strive to, to model our lives more and more after Jesus' life, knowing that what we do doesn't save us but that we live these lives out of gratitude because Jesus has healed us from our sin. And Jesus gives us the gift of faith that keeps drawing us back to God our Father. So we may be dead in sin, but Jesus gives us new life. Our sin has been healed, and we're being changed every day by the Holy Spirit, to be more and more like Jesus, perfect and free from sin. And we will not accomplish it in this lifetime, but we know that that's what lies ahead, a time when we will be with with the Lord at his table and there will be no more sin in us. We will be healed and washed clean. Amen. Father, thank you. We can't can't heal ourselves because that sin is in every part of our lives, but you send Jesus and he heals us and he washes us clean. But Lord, we still want to live good lives because we want to bring glory to you. We want others to see Jesus through our lives. So Lord, guide us bless us and heal us. Thank you for Jesus. Amen.